Welcome to the Become New Podcast with John Ortberg. My name is Tim Williams. I work with John behind the scenes here at Become New, and I'll be your host for this series, Finding God in Your World. Today, John sits down with Laura Turner. Laura is a writer living in Southern California. She holds a BA in political science from Westmont College, an MFA in creative nonfiction from Seattle Pacific University. She's currently at work on a book project about the cultural history of anxiety, and she's John's daughter. John and Laura talk about the hiddenness of God, the overlooked parts of the Christmas story, the painting The Light of the World by William Holding Hunt, painted in the 1850s, the unconventional nature of the characters in the Christmas story, and many other topics. If you're new to the podcast, we have a website you might want to check out, becomenew.com, where you can find more resources, including the option to subscribe to our email or text, which accompany each episode with more information and discussion. Now, here's John and Laura Turner. It is almost Christmas, and we've been walking together through Advent with this idea that uh, in Jesus, God is offering us life together with Him. You're going to go through the day anyway. You can go through it. I can go through it with God, or I can go through it without God. And it's much better to go through it with God. And it's always a good thing when I get to go through at least a part of it with this person right here. This is Laura <laughs> Kathleen Ortberg-Turner. And, always um, a good day. Uh, always a good day. I was thinking about asking you about uh, Christmas rituals, rhythms, but since you're the person who lied to her college, claiming that I forced you to have to listen to me reading through my books at I Christmas did, time, I, did. I thought it's pretty one. much useless doing that because you just lie anyhow. Um, it might. You never know. It always makes things a little more interesting. And, Here's a Christmas tip for you. Yeah. Just tell a white lie at a party if you find yourself <laughs> getting bored. <laughs> it works. Yeah. Good to know. Note to self. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you're in a car right now because I am. You're out shopping. I'm out Christmas Christmas shopping with my mom. I know your wife. Yes, and uh, but I made her disappear for a little bit so we could, you know, have a chat here in the car without her distracting me. Because <laughs> if she was there, she would be distracting. Yeah, you. yeah, she would. She doesn't sit still too well, but no. you know, no, it's not a short drive, so it's okay. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah. no, not so much. Well, thank you for being not inter- so much. willing to interrupt. Um, Shopping time, Christmas shopping time for doing this. And as we were talking about this, you were talking about an uh, author, Fleming Routledge, who's a wonderful writer, thinker, preacher, and she actually has a book about Advent. And um, you had some thoughts from that? Is that I had accurate? some thoughts from that. Are I you deer in the headlights look here? I'm uh, No, I didn't have deer in the headlights. I just had normal No, no, no. I was close deer. to deer in the headlights. Oh, well, sure. Yeah. Uh, I don't want you to get hit. So, um, with that, we will, uh, abscond over to Fleming. I don't think that was the right way to use abscond, but, um, she is just a preacher and writer and thinker and theologian who I have really loved and respected over the years. In some ways, um, her writing reminds me a lot of, of Barbara Brown Taylor's, although I think she's more of a, um, she's less of sort of like a gentle shepherd preacher and a little more maybe intellectual in a way. But anyway, she has this really great book of um, collected sermons, really, that are kind of about Advent um, or about other things that have to do with themes of Advent. And so she had this beautiful sermon that was all about um, the God who hides. And in that 
essay or sermon, she talks a little bit about this idea that, um, you know, it's it's one of the best reasons to read through the Old Testament is because it's just full of descriptions of what God is like. And uh, one of those um, ways of presenting God, even according to people like Blaise Pascal and some others, the way of presenting God in the Old Testament is by um, apophatic theology, like getting to know who God is by getting to know what we don't know about God. Um, so if we were to live in a world where we couldn't say anything positive about what God is, not positive, like, you go, girl. But, you know, like, <laughs> you go, God. I am not these things. Um, how would we know God? And so she talks a lot about, um, you know, the passage where Moses wants to see the face of God, for example, and God puts him in a little cleft in the rock and um, covers him up. And then, you know, was it Moses or was that Abraham? This is so embarrassing. It was Moses, I think. Yeah. Oh, good. Okay. Well, you're, just, you. you're exactly right. I doubted myself for a second. Yeah. Um, and so thinking about that, I suppose all of this is to say, like at this time of year when that reminds me of one of my Advent. favorite jokes. Can I tell you? <laughs> sure. It's Do a little I have bit a choice. But I heard this from my friend Gary Moon, who grew up in a Pentecostal holiness background, and he tells uh-huh. supposedly this happened. They were at a conference one time, and people were prophesying, and one guy got up and said, "Thus saith the Lord: Even as I was with Abraham as he led the children across the wilderness, so I will be with you." And then he sat down, and then his wife nudged him and whispered in his ear, and he stood back up and said, Thus saith the Lord, I was mistaken. It was Moses. <laughs> That's pretty funny. Yeah, I might have told it before. Mistaken. I don't know so if you're listening to this and it's repetitious. You <laughs> have to put up with what my kids have to put up with all the time. But It is. That's so true. Uh, Abraham, Moses, pretty close. Yeah. Potato, yeah. potato, really. Yeah. Uh, they so much have cross-stitched that onto a pillow. Um, but I, I guess anyways, I think about this season in Advent when we're supposed to be kind of waiting in the darkness and all these things that there's this like real juxtaposition where Moses is waiting in the darkness to just find out, you know, God, what does your face look like? That's the thing that I want to know. Um, and there's such, um, one of the things Fleming Rutledge writes about is like, of course we can't know what God is like. Of course God is beyond our imagination in his hiddenness because we didn't come up with God. So like what makes us think that we can just kind of take every piece apart and understand God like he was some, you know, clock um, and we could understand by by breaking down the sum of his parts what he is like. And so in that sense of like God is showing us who he is all the time, but it's always greater than what we can perceive. It is shrouded in not just darkness, but hiddenness. And I thought that was, she kind of says, there's no point in having a faith that doesn't believe that God is hidden and doesn't have some kind of illumination or understanding as to why, because faith that doesn't grapple with that is a fairly shallow faith. And she she gave this sermon right around the time of the Sandy Hook massacre. So there are all these very young children, you know, my son's age, who had died. There's there's no answer for why. Um, that's not a topic that's gone away in the world. You know, I mean, it is it takes 
um, very little attention now to know that there are children the world over from Ukraine to Israel-Palestine who are dying. And I would have to think if I was in that position, I need to know not only that God is in darkness, but that God is hidden because God better be somewhere, you know, and I maybe I don't know why he's hiding, why these things are happening. But if I don't believe that he is somewhere, at least with me in some way, hiding and his goodness and his love and mercy are operating behind the scenes where I can't see them, um, then it's kind of an anemic faith. It's kind of too thin to really stand up to you know, what actually happens in the world. And so I think that there's a lot of power in that and in who God is. But I have to always remember that I can't see or even imagine, you know, no eye has seen nor ear has heard. But that's like, not just because God is so good to us in our lives and giving us the things that we want all the time, but because God is there with us somehow in hiding when when we are in what feels like endless darkness. Mm. I was thinking when you were talking about that, um, probably the part of the Christmas story or the passage in the Christmas story that gets talked about, preached about the least, be interested to hear your thoughts on this. I don't think we've ever talked about this before, is um, the story of Herod and the genocide and the killing of uh, baby boys two years old and under. Yeah, and it's made me think sometimes. Uh, how would the families that lost a child have felt about Mary and Joseph and the story of Jesus? And when Jesus was thirty, and those moms were to hear about him, what would that evoke in them? And that that story is part of what made it into Scripture. And um, uh. There's that quote from the passage in Jeremiah, a voice is heard in Ramah, Rachel weeping for her children. And uh, and that's the story in Jeremiah where Rachel, who had been the wife of Jacob, uh, they, they ended up moving her bones later on near Bethlehem so that when the Israelites had to go uh, into exile, they would have to walk past where her grave was. So Jeremiah uses that as a picture of deep suffering. You know, this matriarch, Rachel, who is weeping for the children of Israel, who then are being um, oppressed, uprooted, uh, sometimes killed by their enemies. Then it's Babylon. Um, And then it's so striking, just the language, weeping for her children and refusing to be comforted. And it's that picture of, you know, people coming to you and often we want to comfort other people when they're suffering. I think about Kate Bowler's book, Everything Happens for a Reason and Other Lies That I've Cherished. We just, we want to make other people feel better because I don't want to feel bad. Yeah. And there's there's a kind of integrity to uh, that Rachel refusing to be comforted. No, don't give me a reason. Don't explain it. Don't tell me it's okay. Don't tell me God had a... I will not receive that comfort. I will protest and lament um, my lost children. And somehow that lament and that protest and that howl of pain makes it into the story of Christmas too. Yeah. And I mean, I think about um, 
yeah, we are listening to a podcast with our son a few nights ago. We There's a, a Bible stories podcast he likes a lot, and it recounts stories from the scriptures. And it is not, um, I mean, they have the one about about Legion, where Jesus cast that demon out into <laughs> to the like 300 pigs or whatever. And so my, you know, almost six-year-old son is sitting there listening to these like creepy pigs talking about how we are Legion and run, they run over there. The, the demons on them. Yeah. Anyways, they run over the cliff. And, um, but one of the ones that we've been listening to a lot lately is the life of Moses. And so when it's going through the 10 plagues and the very last one is the death of the firstborn boy, um, in Israel, which marks Passover, it's like, I don't, you know, whenever he wants to listen to that, when I try to think of sitting with, um, I, it's hard for me to listen to this with him. Um, he's the firstborn boy. And there's like a real, um, if I, if at some point he doesn't encounter a faith in a God who is good and real and present in spite of these kinds of things, um, he will never have a real faith. You know, he will grow up um, and feel like the Christianity that he knew was, um, did not meet the very real needs and realities of the world in which he lived. And so, um, that's a big part of, you know, the death of a child is, I think probably we can all agree, like one of the worst, if not the worst kind of thing that can happen, um, to a person. And so there is something very powerful about saying, if God is in that and in Rachel's tears and, you know, somehow with Moses and in all of these things, then, then God is with us in all of the other, you know, hardships and losses as well. I was talking this last week in therapy, um, which, by the way, you still haven't paid for. I could send you a bill. <laughs> no, I cost the need for it, but I haven't paid for it yet. Pay for their kids' whole therapies. Um, mom's outside the car telling me to wrap it up. <laughs> <laughs> she just went like this. <laughs> So I will. Anyways, in therapy, my therapist, who is very wise and wonderful, was talking about how um, she was doing a visio divina. So Latin expert, you want to tell us what that means? Uh, is that like where instead of reading a text, you're looking at images? Yeah, like um, visio being the Latin root of the word vision. <laughs> Get vision. it? Vision. <laughs> you visio the divina. Uh -huh. And she was looking at this painting by William Holman Hunt, who a lot of folks might be familiar with. He he did a painting called The Light of the World, and it's a painting of Jesus um, holding this kind of lantern um, based around the text, you know, here I stand, um, or he stands at the door and knocks in Revelation. And there's no um, handle on the outside of the door. You know, it's only very clearly like the indoors. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, and it's very, very dark and brambly and, and wintry outside. Like it's very barren landscape. And then the knock, the the Jesus in this painting um doesn't have his hand even like this to knock, it's just kind of like this. Like it, you know, it would be like a very gentle and soft noise. And I feel like just thinking of that in line with the hiddenness of God, it's like to be alive on the earth, to see, you know, 
through a glass dimly is to just be in this room where we have the handle on one side and there's something on the other side and we do not and cannot know what it is. And so we might hear in moments or sense a presence or see something or feel something. But 99% of the time, we're just going about our days inside our little rooms. Um, And it's only when we die that we really, you know, can see what's on the other side of the door and experience it in a felt way, you know, like we can have little glimpses of that now, but to experience life on the other side of the door. It, it it's hidden from us on this side of the veil. Can I ask you one more question? Will mom allow it or is she going to break into the car? No, she's, I think we're good now. Yeah. She's gone for okay. the moment. All right, is it, so can this I one's... disturb you? <laughs> no, not. No, that is a good one, but it's not Too why bad. and why. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, you have to explain that now since you oh, asked Well, it. one time you said someone, you were preaching a sermon and then afterwards there was like a people that were wanting to talk to you about it. And one guy said, Excuse me, I, mean, I disturb you. And you said, Yeah, of course. And he said, yeah. yeah. And uh, he did disturb me. Backed me uh, up. Yeah. But no, that wasn't the question. What I was thinking, it's more personal. And I don't think I've asked you this one, but when you think about how you heard about God and Jesus and the story of Christmas as you were growing up, if you were to say, um, here's one thing I didn't hear talked about enough, or here's an aspect of it or a question about it or some dimension of life that can be troubling that needs to be connected to that story that didn't um, or something that didn't get named. Anything come to mind? Is there anything that as you look back on it, you feel like, uh, I wish earlier on in life I could have heard this um, about God or faith or life? Yeah, it's funny you ask that because I just um so this week I'm in a, a, like an Ignatian prayer group that started back during COVID and we've we still meet once a month together and just have yeah. a really it's just a lovely time with like the most calm, wonderful people. Um and one of them said something this week that um really cracked me up, but also made me think, Oh, I, I love this. So it's not necessarily like a oh, I wish that dad, you would have told me, you know, you or someone would have emphasized this as a kid. But he was thinking about Mary. And I don't think you're going to know this person is, but he said he pictured her as a Natasha Lyonne kind of character. And Natasha Lyonne is this actress who was in a show called Orange is the New Black and a show called Russian Doll. And she's always just sort of like smoking a cigarette. Her hair is kind of wild. Like she doesn't, she's always like a little bothered by everybody around her. Um, And I think the point was kind of like, um, Mary was a real person. She was a teenager. You know, she was a young teenager. And in, in every way that we know of, you know, we, we valorize her and for very good reason. Um, and I wonder like what, how crazy it was for her to, to find this out. I wonder, um, a lot of things about her. And I think being raised in a more evangelical tradition you know her role in it was sort of like to lift up um women in a certain way but it, it there's not as much thought given to like what she was like or the physicality of giving birth at at her age um i also have a very good friend from grad school who um was at a young age herself at around the same age you know that mary was thought to be 
was it put in treatment for an eating disorder. It was like a um, like inpatient treatment. So she has this memory of of her being 13 years old, looking out the window at her mom leaving. And it was around Christmas time and of her mom looking up and her mom in that moment felt like, okay, Mary is the only person who can understand the pain I'm having right now. And my friend was okay and came through it really well. But um, like, how striking is that to think? And and that made their whole family Catholic. They weren't Catholic before that, but they became Catholic <laughs> after that because the mom was wow. like, I, wow. this is the only thing I can draw strength from right now. Yeah. Um, and so I mm. think just the pers- personhood of who Mary was to be able to say yes to Jesus like that, but then also the power of the Magnificat and like comforting the downtrodden and knocking down the afflicted. Like she had a real fire in her. And so, yeah, I, I just, you know, I love thinking about who she was and how she might have been a little different than this kind of like demure young woman that we all or I can tend to think of her as. I, I, it's a wonderful exercise to just think through characters in the Bible or maybe uh, even in a Christmas story of the Holy Family and um, think about actors or or folks that don't fit the herbal tea. Yeah. Uh, yes. All this yeah. category, you know, tattooed, whatever. Uh, totally. Just to get them into the real people category. Yeah. And so y'all might do that today. Everybody watching this, just think about a few unlikely suspects and put them in the story and see how that makes you find uh, God in a new way, especially the God who is with us when we are weeping and refuse to be. Thanks, Lola. Thanks, Dado. Love you. Love you. Thanks again for joining us. If you like this podcast, you can help us out by leaving a review or by sharing with a friend. For more resources, check out becomenew.com. And if you need prayer, there's a group of us who meet each weekday, Monday through Friday, to pray for listeners like you. Send us your prayer requests at 855-888-0444. We'll catch you next time.